Welcome to Fat Guy, Jack Guy. I'm Steph Rubino. And I'm Brendan Walsh. Today, in anticipation of presidential debate season, we're talking about the one debate that really matters. But before we do that, we have a little message for you. Please become a patron of Fat Guy Jack Guy by going to patreon.com backslash fatguyjackguy. For as little as $3 a month, you can help your brothers become full-time grifters. And in this environment, it's more important now than ever, folks. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the show. Fat Guy Jack Guy Two wacky goofballs talking about stuff Fat Guy Well, brother, <laughs> this is how all podcasts begin with one of us saying, well, brother. <laughs> we should keep that up. That's just yeah. the thing we do. That's the thing we do. Other podcasts will say, great to be here, but we will say, well, brother. <laughs> or, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. It's great to be here. As you know, and as our fans know, in this season of Fat Guy, Jack Guy, we're discussing the cultural and political ephemera that built the normal decade of 2003 to 2013. <laughs> Very normal decade. And nothing screams the convergence of mid to late 2000s politics and culture quite like the battle, and I have that in quotes, between John <laughs> Stewart liberals and Fox News conservatives. You see, kids... Back in the early 2000s, Jon Stewart had emerged as the new and improved host of the insignificant daily show on Comedy Central, a title he took from Craig Kilborn in 1999. <laughs> That's right, folks, Craig Kilborn. <laughs> before we, on this podcast, before we get to the guys who matter, we have to talk about a guy who, like, doesn't matter. Craig Kilborn. <laughs> so much just disappeared off the face of the i'm sure he's yeah. still doing something he's doing fine we could all be so lucky to have a little <laughs> moment like craig kilborn had in like the late 90s but when he left the daily show uh it was not what you would consider the political commentary apparatus that it became under john stewart it was just like a goofy little essentially extended version of weekend update on snl mm -hmm. There wasn't a broad cultural understanding of political comedy as we know it today. You pretty much had the serious news on the big networks. That's like what your parents might watch at 7 p.m. on a weekday. Just the sad, the worst. If you walk in and you're like, dad was watching the news, you were pissed. It wasn't yeah. fun. No, especially during that time. Yeah, there wasn't anything funny on the news. Nothing nothing good was happening <laughs> i i feel like that was a, a kid of our gender maybe every kid maybe this is just an american childhood thing you'd walk in to a tv room and one of your parents would be watching the news and then you'd go oh the news <laughs> like <laughs> that's what it was uh, like not the news again the news <laughs> <laughs> This thing that happens for 30 minutes every night and then disappears. 
It doesn't Come continue on. to happen. Come on, you do this every day. It's so boring. So obviously you had that. You also had Jay Leno monologue jokes, which were essentially, if they were political at all, about minor gaffes or for a good period of time, misogynistic coverage of Monica Lewinsky. And unfortunately, our, our, our main source of political comedy was Weekend Update on SNL, which doesn't really hit in the way that your Jon Stewart Daily Show was hitting. There weren't, as we have now, dozens of options for people who wanted to engage with serious topics while also laughing about these serious topics. And we can thank Jon Stewart for that. We really can thank the Jon Stewart Daily Show. It slowly but surely changed how we understand the political landscape and how we discussed the news, right? Holy, holy shit, Fat Guy Jack Guy exists because of Jon Stewart Daily That's Show. That's really it. Yeah, Jon Stewart did this. That 5'7 just... man. <laughs> I just, this is... he's short. <laughs> you need to make that clear. Dude, this is, his this is his ground. It's his ground. He built this, you know? <laughs> he's like the metalloid maniac of news comedy. It is... The Daily Show, for all of its shortcomings, a remarkable achievement for a late-night Comedy Central show. And I have a lot of respect for Jon Stewart as a person and entertainer, and for those beautiful years when he was the sole source of engaging news on TV. I was watching The Daily Show from, like many of elder millennials, like 2003 to probably our decade, to 2012, 2013. Like, we were avid Daily Show watchers. When I lived in Korea from 2010 to 2011, I pirated every episode of The Daily Show every single day as my source of American news. I guess I was probably a day behind, but every other day, a day behind, I would be learning news from Jon Stewart, solely Jon Stewart. Um, and that was like how I got my information. I wasn't reading the New York Times. I was watching Stewart, and probably many of us were. Yeah, was, I would have done... I would have done the same thing if it was, if I was in that situation. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, yeah. he was probably the most influential TV personality for our generation, the elder millennial generation, at least those of us who identified with lefty politics or liberal politics, you know, li liberal descending into lefty politics. <laughs> <laughs> People who were liberal and who are now communists. Yes, exactly. <laughs> People who made the logical transition to like far left politics. And Stewart defined much of this, you know, liberal quasi lefty millennial politics. And he laid the foundation for how we digest news and information now. Concurrent with our little friend John Stewart's rise was Bill O'Reilly's. <laughs> whose Fox News show, The O'Reilly Factor, can't believe that was the name of his show. <laughs> saying his name in the Trump way. Yes, The O'Reilly Factor. Bill O'Reilly. It's giving it some gravitas, you know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, you know, it's a powerful name. Uh, so The O'Reilly Factor first aired in 1996 on the same day that Fox News Network launched. 
O'Reilly was, for many years, the epitome of Fox News. A giant white, ruddy-faced, blowhard mick that scared your grandfather. That's right, folks. <laughs> Listen, everybody, he can say that. Yeah, I can say that. It's Just okay. so that you know, he can say that. Also, it's, it's okay right. to be racist against white people. Yeah, white and white racism, as we've established, is <laughs> fine. It's good, it's actually. Good. <laughs> so when people wanted to understand Fox News better, they looked at O'Reilly. When liberals wanted to get the American conservative movement, they looked at what O'Reilly said and how he said it. And honestly, compared to the conspiratorial and downright batshit turn the American right has made since 2012, O'Reilly's views seem quaint, almost. <laughs> no, it's so true. Actually, we we kind of talked about this when we talked about Bill O'Reilly in another episode. We discussed him in the War on Christmas episode. Mm -hmm. That, like, everything he said seemed crazy at the time, but it doesn't seem nearly as crazy as what's going on right now yeah like for all you could say about bill o'reilly and like he was and continues to be just not a good person he he lived in essentially the same universe <laughs> like, <laughs> in a way yes in a way like he looked at the world and saw the world but like <laughs> saw it differently whereas now it's like it's like the um, They Live, the movie with Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Like now conservatives are looking at them. They see like alien, like skeletal aliens, and we see oh, just other true. people. So it's different. That's... Listen, that was a perfect way to explain. Thank you. What, what we're dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, I don't know what else to yeah. say. No, that was great. So beginning in 2001, Jon Stewart and Bill O'Reilly met in televised conversations fairly regularly. Sometimes they met on the O'Reilly Factor, sometimes they met on The Daily Show. Stewart's East Coast snarky liberalness obviously upset O'Reilly's furious ski-doo dealership-owning base, and <laughs> coming up with another Irish slur, get ready, and... <laughs> No, we gotta take a moment. Skeedy yeah. dealership owning. I feel like that's most conservatives. Like they're they just yeah they, they own just skis. sell jet skis. Yeah, <laughs> most of them do that. <laughs> and O'Reilly's pompous bog trotter austerity. <laughs> this pissed off Stewart's audience of tenured college professors and full-time graduate students. Mm -hmm. In other words, America loved to see these two titans of representation <laughs> lock horns in battles of intellect. Just making fun of both of them, right? Now. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, you gotta make <laughs> you gotta make fun of the liberal guys too. Yeah, I mean, they're ridiculous. Yeah. Specifically, Stewart fans. I think Stewart fans are a lot more easy to ridicule than John Stewart himself, but I'm sure That's we could true. do that too. The drastic difference between policy for libs and conservatives during this period was really in the focus and the messaging. It wasn't necessarily in the content. 
as it remains now, right? Yeah. Fox News conservatives focused on specific issues of crime and danger that epitomized the wrong direction that the country was headed in. For instance, if there was someone lying about a disability or a reduced prison sentence or a kid's book about a gay giraffe or something, Fox made that a political issue that everyone needed to freak out about, specifically like your grandparents and your uncles. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the gay giraffe book. Yeah. I want to know more about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like a giraffe, but he's gay. I don't know. <laughs> he's a giraffe, but he's gay. Yeah. It's not even that <laughs> radical. It's just, no, it's not. It's just a guy. He's just existing. Yeah, leave him alone. <laughs> if you took a look, though, Dems and Republicans both argued for a specific capitalist model based on labor, production, and consumption. Dems and Republicans wanted the same aggressive foreign policy towards the Middle East. They asked you to sacrifice more for less and less, but one side told you that the problem was coddled millennial softies which also at the same time meant black people. Some I'm not sure how, but that's what it meant. And the other side told you that it was racist uncles. Either way, same thing is happening, right? <laughs> yep. Damn, you hit the nail on the head there. That's what it is, isn't it, folks? I mean... That's what know. it is. Hey, it's my point of view, okay? It's my <laughs> point of view. That's just my opinion, man. Just... <laughs> Relax. <laughs> so this... Pre-Trump age of political lunacy is remarkable for many reasons, but one is the subject of today's show. Yeah, that was all in the lead up to what we're talking about today. <laughs> the subject of today's show is the 2012 televised debate between Jon Stewart and Bill O'Reilly called The Rumble in the Air-Conditioned Theater, a fun little goofy title about a, essentially a political debate. In 90 minutes, Stewart and O'Reilly presented different visions of the same, essentially the same, neoliberal world order. They bickered over welfare, the Middle East, the bailout, which was still fresh on everybody's mind, the deficit, and whether Barack Obama or Mitt Romney would be a better president. The whole thing, for its supposed goofiness and theatricality, feels so very 1950s now. You had two media superstars debating issues for an audience of millions. Two people with mutual respect from supposed opposite sides of the political aisle. I know that we saw a, like, sort of a debate in 2023 between California Governor <laughs> Gruesome Gavin Newsom and Florida Governor Meatball Rob DeSanctimonious. <laughs> We didn't retire his nickname over here, that's for sure. Hell no, and we never will. We never will. He'll be Meatball Rob the Sanctimonious forever. <laughs> forever. All three. <laughs> but, you know, that thing, that debate, whatever that was, first of all, nobody watched it. Second of all, it wasn't between household names, and it didn't really inspire a response from anyone. The Stuart O'Reilly debate was huge. It was a big deal. People cared about it. It was a pay-per-view event, literally. The Stuart O'Reilly debate of 2012 was, like many events that we explore this season, the last gasp of a kind of pretend American politics. This was a moment of perceived civility. The 2012 election, which Barack Obama won, spoiler alert, famously produced 
a Republican Party concerned with appealing to a wider range of voters. Remember that? Remember the memo they put out? Yeah, unfortunately I do because I was there. Yeah. The... <laughs> you were alive. I was, I was alive. Unfortunately. And I was like, shit, what are these motherfuckers up to? Yep. So this inclusive Republican Party was supposed to be the next iteration of conservatism. This election emboldened a Democratic Party that believed it could appeal to your sense of morality without providing any material solutions to moral issues. This form of debate, discussion, fight, whatever, can't really happen anymore. It requires a hint of buy-in from Americans, which doesn't exist in large enough numbers. That's my preamble. Damn, that's so true. Pray en bleu. <laughs> Learning French. <laughs> well, your pronunciation was beautiful, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Don't tell Stacy. I won't. I won't because she'll. Well, she's going to listen to this. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'll be so embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It, it can't happen anymore. This it can't, can't happen, happen anymore. Uh, okay. So let's let's get into part one. So this is sort of a precursor to my actual discussion of the debate. Listen up, folks. I watched this entire debate. I watched 90 minutes of Jon Stewart and Bill O'Reilly having a discussion. And I won't say anything yet, but just know I watched this. This is a really a researched discussion here. And just remember it. We put in the work. We do, which is why your Patreon dollars... <laughs> mean a lot we're not working for good. free thank you thank you <laughs> so part one the political environment of 2012 the recovery for the 2008 financial crisis was slow american troops were still actively killing and dying in iraq and afghanistan a decade after invasion the conservative tea party movement was three years old and had a somewhat favorable view among half of republicans the Occupy movement existed on a smaller and less notable scale than its high-profile autumn of 2011. Obama maintained about a 50% approval rating throughout the year, down from his high of 69% in January 2009, but still 50%. And you know what's crazy is that like Obama's 50% approval rating might be the highest approval rating we'll ever see again. Ever, you know? ever. Well, hopefully wild. we won't have presidents for very much. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how it's looking. <laughs> in conjunction with Obama and his, you know, relatively high approval rating, you have Mitt Romney, the Republican presidential candidate, and perpetually somehow 52-year-old man. I mean, he's like 80 now, and he looks like no. he's 52. He looks great. You know, yeah. that, that, that guy that's doing all that weird stuff to stay young, he should just study Mitt Romney. Yeah, just be a Mormon. Like, that seems to be. <laughs> be a Mormon and very rich. He a Mormon, a very rich Mormon who lives in Utah with his 25 kids. Yeah, that seems like yeah. a way to keep young. Uh, so, young. you know, Mitt Romney just kind of had gotten in trouble for his classic 47% video. In this video, which some people say might have tanked his campaign or doomed his campaign, Mitt Romney tells a room of wealthy vampires that 47% of Americans mooch off of the government and the work of the wealthy. This came out in September 2012. The Stuart O'Reilly debate was in October 2012. So we're like fresh off this um, fiasco of the you know, Republican candidates campaign. 2012 was a time of 
transition from the full-fledged Bush-induced insanity of the 2000s to the more absurd Obama-Trump years of the 2010s. The political environment was far more hopeful, I think, in 2012 than it is now, but much less hopeful than 2008 when Barack Obama invented and used the word hope to refer to optimism about the future. It was an interesting... <laughs> Interesting neologism that he invented, the word hope. <laughs> Never before seen in a presidential campaign. Yeah, he invented his own word as his campaign slogan. And it worked. He was like, he was like hope, do you guys have it? Let me tell you what it is. <laughs> Got hope. <laughs> Let me tell you what it is. It's optimism for the future. <laughs> Somebody in the crowd is like, define optimism. What? <laughs> what is this? That's good. So, yeah, the political environment of 2012, it, it was quite polarized and it was becoming more polarized, but it felt lesser so than in 2016. However, the seeds of our reality-bending politics were planted years before in the aftermath of 9-11. The thesis of this entire season of Fat Guy, Jack Guy is apparent in the rumble in the air-conditioned theater. I'm not going to say what the thesis is because I'm not even sure how to articulate this in one or two sentences, but the thesis is like a vibe, right? The thesis of the season is a vibe <laughs> and we've got it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're really right. Yeah. You're really right. This, this thing is like, so the rumble in the air conditioned theater, it's, it's all day vibes. And this is like, this is it. This is it. So I guess, we should talk about what this debate is or was. It, it has its own Wikipedia page. How about that, folks? Well, yeah. That, nice? that makes sense. It's a big deal. So let yeah. me just read you the Wikipedia breakdown, and then I will give us our sort of play-by-play -play of the debate, because it was quite interesting to watch. So the rumble in the air-conditioned auditorium, O'Reilly versus Stewart 2012. <laughs> Obviously, this is meant to... Uh, hint at the rumble in the jungle right the muhammad ali boxing match um yeah was a debate between bill o'reilly of the o'reilly factor and john stewart of the daily show and moderated by cnn news anchor ed hill who i don't know if she's still around but she's a person it took place on october 6 2012 in washington dc at george washington university most of the audience was watching via internet stream or subsequent download. It cost $4.95 to download or stream. So this was, as I said, a pay-per-view event, like a boxing wow. match. According to the New York Times, O'Reilly and Stewart had been guests on each other's program since 2001, but rarely agree on anything except their mutual respect for each other. So this thing started sort of like, these guys are those friends that can't seem to agree on anything, but at the end of the day, they like each other, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that John Stewart and Bill O'Reilly were really hanging out. Yeah, they were hanging out. <laughs> Good friends. Another thing about this is because of it was meant to evoke the, the 1974 boxing event, Rumble in the Jungle. At the end, both of them received a championship belt, like a, you know, like a boxing championship belt at the end is like a goof, you know, a lot of fun, yeah. a lot of fun. What so that's what it was. Balls? Yeah, I know. It was, it was, a, it was essentially a cornball thing, but <laughs> it was a 90-minute, essentially presidential-style debate between two people who represented 
the opposite sides of what we like to call the aisle because we can only imagine a politics where there's one aisle, right? You had your Stewart who represented essentially Barack Obama. And then you had Bill O'Reilly who claimed constantly that he was not for a specific party. He's one of those guys that was like, I'm independent, but clearly he represented a Mitt Romney style of conservatism. So these guys are like your opposites and they're arguing about the issues that essentially we would expect Obama and O'Reilly, I mean, Obama and Romney to argue <laughs> about, right? A little slip there, folks. Yeah. yeah. So we have our surrogates. We have Stewart and O'Reilly. And the format of the debate is broken up into two sections. The first half followed the usual presidential debate format. While the second half, the three took seats closer to the audience, sort of town hally, and answered questions posed by the audience and viewers on the internet. While the discussion topics were essentially the same as the presidential debate a few days prior, much of the event was obviously goofy and oft-reused gag. And this is something that basically the whole thing was built around this gag, is that Bill O'Reilly is very tall. He is 6'4". That's a tall man, okay? Whereas, oh my God, he's a big guy. Yeah, he's a big guy. He's a, he's a big bog trotter. I, don't know how, I didn't know they built him that big. <laughs> They, they uh, built him that big. No, they built him that big over in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, um, you're, you're you're supposed to be the limit where you are yeah, right now. I'm the tallest, tallest Irish American. Six one is the limit. Yeah, that's my brother, <laughs> and Stuart, of course, very short. The man is five seven. So we have a clear difference in physical size, and this was a gag that was often used. Stuart had a mechanical riser built into his podium. And throughout the course of the debate, he would control it to get higher, like, you know, to be at O'Reilly's level or sink down a little bit lower. It was a goof, you know, a little physical comedy. We love it. Yeah, that's, that's fun. Here's the play-by-play. -play. I'm going to be honest. This was not a fair fight. Okay? This was not a fair fight. Stewart, first of all, is much funnier and smarter than O'Reilly. It's hard to argue with this. Even if you're a Bill O'Reilly fan... I mean, you have to admit that Stewart is bringing tools that Bill O'Reilly simply does not have. <laughs> the crowd is also primarily on Stewart's side. Stewart walks out to what is essentially a standing ovation, and O'Reilly comes out to, like, you know, I guess hearty, but ultimately tepid applause. They're like, hey, there's a guy. Like, you know, there were guys that, there were O'Reilly folks in the audience who, who did enjoy his takes, and he got applause after the things that he said. But he continually fails to match Stewart's off-the-cuff and planned quips and goofs, because he clearly had both. Yeah. He's, like, this talented incredibly intelligent comedian whose whole life has been about engaging audiences and trying to make them laugh. And O'Reilly is a Fox News host. I mean, those are different things, different skill sets. Yeah, O'Reilly is like a rage gardener. Yes, a rage gardener. Perfect. <laughs> right. Exactly. Let me tell you what I, <laughs> let me tell you what I said, because <laughs> you said it better than I did. I said, I said, O'Reilly's comic styling is that of a very stupid seventh grade bully. Yeah, who's also a rage gardener. Yes, he Obviously, yeah. is a rage gardener. He does some like whiny imitations of Stewart's voice as like comebacks. He's like, well, what about the deficit? You know, like stuff like that. But that's not the same as like Stewart hitting you with 
really intelligent quips. It just doesn't, at least for me, a person who admires intelligent comedy, right? Yeah, that's that's like for the Trump crowd. Actually. Yes. Yeah, it it's definitely... like imitating imitating a person in a weird way. That's very that's like proto Trump. That's where you actually he probably he probably watched a lot of O'Reilly. Definitely. Definitely. So although I think O'Reilly famously didn't like Trump that much as a candidate, but definitely Trump took a lot from O'Reilly and his delivery and his ability to capitalize on like very specific culture war issues and catapult those into the mainstream conversation. Which yeah, is the Fox sure. News talent. Yeah. It's also clear that O'Reilly from the beginning doesn't take this thing too seriously. He's dismissive throughout the entire discussion, which like maybe rightfully so. Like obviously this isn't meant to be taken seriously. He keeps bringing out newspaper headlines as evidence for his arguments. I think maybe this is something he must have done on his show, but it was sort of like a Jay Leno, you know, he did headlines and he'd take out the big black uh, cue card and it would have a picture of a headline on it. Bill yeah. O'Reilly was doing the same thing, but with what he thought were serious headlines. Um, wow, for he, instance, stole, he stole a hack thing and made it more hack. He did, but he tried to do it in the context of like an intelligent political debate. One instance of this that sticks out to me is when he wants to make a point about the Iranian nuclear program, he holds up a headline that says, Iran isn't scared or something to that effect. Iran is no longer scared. I guess he believes that this is a useful tactic in the debate, but it just falls flat every single time. Like, it's so unserious and ridiculous. He thinks that that's evidence. He's a student who doesn't know how to incorporate evidence properly into their paper. That's exactly what I'm getting right now. Yeah, just let me this just is, show it to you. I'm also realizing that Alex Jones ripped off these O'Reilly-isms too. Mm. Yeah, that's probably a good point, yeah. I think O'Reilly is, he's the guy. O'Reilly yeah. is foundational for the conservative movement now. He's the blueprint. Mm -hmm. It's his ground. It's his ground. <laughs> so there's some big moments. I, as I was watching, I was taking notes about some of the big moments, the things that stuck out to me, the things that hit. So here are some big moments, the rundown. So Stuart opens with his monologue of something he calls bullshit mountain, which is an extended metaphor about the portion of Americans who don't live in the same reality as the rest of us. And obviously these are like Fox News viewers, conservatives of various degrees and stripes. He says that half the country lives in this place called Bullshit Mountain, where facts don't matter, where people blame their issues on single moms on welfare and not on oil barons or something like that. It's that sort of thing. It's essentially a funnier, smarter version of Hillary Clinton's deplorable speech that <laughs> did not work out so well for her. She doesn't have the charisma of No, John she doesn't Stewart. have the charisma at all. I, and I don't think Stewart intended to be rude to working people because he, he never does. That's not his shtick. And I don't think it came off that way. But I guess I could see people taking it that way. This whatever this liberal, this Jewish liberal <laughs> saying this yeah. stuff, right? Like I'm sure that bothered a lot of people. O'Reilly mentions Cuba and Havana whenever he assumes that Stewart is mentioning socialism or social democracy or welfare programs immediately goes to Cuba or Havana. He's like, what is this, Havana? Who are you, Castro? Just, it's like second nature to him. It's like a muscular reflex. 
<laughs> it's kind of funny because like they're still saying that back then. Yeah. Nobody nobody would say that now. Yeah. It's it's no longer a thing, but it was I guess in 2012, really important to them. They talk a lot about the war on Christmas. There's a whole section about the war on Christmas. Yep. Which harkens back to our old Christmas classic episode. The moderator asks, who won the war on Christmas? Which is a pretty funny question. That's really funny. Yeah. And to that, Stuart makes some really funny points about being Jewish and how Christmas is everywhere. And you can't like try being Hanukkah is like what, you know, his joke there. And then O'Reilly makes a weird and bad joke about Obama dropping a drone on ACLU headquarters. And the audience doesn't quite laugh at it. First of all, I guess O'Reilly didn't understand how drone technology works because that's not what you do with drones. You don't drop them on things. No, you do. You just drop them. Yeah, you just fly it and then drop it. Yeah, you just like, drop all right. it. The person operating the joystick just lets go. You just let it go and it just falls and makes an explosion. <laughs> yeah. And I get I guess his thing is is that the ACLU sued companies for having Christmas stuff or sued towns for Christmas stuff. And so he hates the ACLU. Whatever the joke doesn't go over very well. O'Reilly says in response to Iraq and Afghanistan, we should not have gone into Iraq. Afghanistan, we had to. Stuart flips out on that a, l- a little bit. I think it's interesting. We had to. We had to. We just we had, had to do to. it. Iraq didn't have to, which is, I didn't know that was Bill O'Reilly's take. And maybe part of Stuart's flip out was that O'Reilly might have been an Iraq hawk when it happened and then sort of, you know, took it back as he saw how it unfolded. Either way, makes you think, all right, this guy is not as like ridiculous as maybe I've perceived him to be because at least he understood that small thing. No, I think we can still classify him as ridiculous. Yes, he is truly ridiculous. You know, okay. my rule for this my rule for this kind of shit is broken clocks are right twice a day. It's so true. And they're still they, broken. They're broken, but they are right sometimes, folks. <laughs> All right, here's an O'Reilly quote-ish. As I was watching, I was quoting, but I'm not really good at writing things quickly. So <laughs> they got onto the topic of healthcare. Because oh, if you remember. This is a sensitive one for fat guy, jack guy. If you remember, Obamacare was uh, mm-hmm. was big at the time. This was everybody was talking about it mm-hmm. before people realized, um, you know, that it didn't make that much of a difference, and you know, whatever. Okay, so O'Reilly said, "I think everyone should have access to health care, but I don't think we should pay for those who are able-bodied." Healthcare should be run by insurance companies, not the government, but they should have mandates enforced by the government. So Bill O'Reilly has a very confused understanding of healthcare, and I think it does a good job of portraying the absurdity of the American healthcare system in general. Is that essentially what he's saying is I want this thing to be as expensive and bureaucratic as possible. I just don't want the government to be in charge of this expensive bureaucratic mess. Which would make yeah, as, it less expensive and less bureaucratic. As he was at the age where he was probably getting Medicare. Yeah, maybe. Possibly. So he then says that Canada and the UK have bad health care and that they come to America to get procedures done. To which I laugh. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, they come to America to 
70 grand yeah. for something they can get for free. Yeah, I wanted to get my heart surgery for for a hundred thousand dollars. I just wanted to pay more for it. I had this extra money. <laughs> Audience members come on to the scene. Mm -hmm. These are obviously online questions. One audience member asks, why vote for Obama for a second term? Stewart says, the reason you should vote for Obama is because it's a choice between him and Mitt Romney. Stewart then says he doesn't think Obama's perfect, but believes that he's done okay. So that's like Stewart's response to, you know, why vote for Obama for a second term? So essentially the same rhetoric we use now, which is, well, you got to vote for this guy because it's this guy or the other guy, right? <laughs> same old thing. Damn, they were doing vote blue no matter who all the way back then, huh? They really were. And especially Shit. for, um, you know, people that you respect a lot, like Jon Stewart, people that you know have a, a really solid point of view who I think are politically aligned with me relatively, they're still kind of going for that. And I don't know. I don't know if I, I blame him, but I, whatever. They have a question about political heroes. Stewart says Robert Kennedy is his political hero. Uh, O'Reilly says Abraham Lincoln. Okay. <laughs> That's really funny. Yep. Also, like Robert, Robert Kennedy is such an interesting choice. I mean, yeah. not a bad choice. Yeah. Not a bad choice. Uh, but just like a really interesting one. It was an interesting one. And I think a, like a cool kid answer, I guess if you had to answer like one sort of mainstream American politician, it's not a president. He ultimately ended up on the right side of things after a long time not being on the right side of things. So yeah, yeah I don't know. I get it, I guess. Someone asks O'Reilly what the problem with political discourse in America is. Like how come we can't see eye to eye with one another? And he says... The problem is capitalism. And so you say, what? And he says, you can make a lot of money being an assassin to other people's careers. There are Americans who want to hear hate. So you're like, okay. So he's kind of saying that there's political, there's financial incentive to create polarization. Obviously, the funniness of this is that he is a product of that polarization that makes you a lot of money, like made him so much money like hundreds of millions of dollars right yeah but at the same time was, you know he understood it i guess that was his mask off moment he was like we're all fucked up yeah he's like listen <laughs> it sucks but it's dope listen it sucks but i have a tennis court yeah and then he kind of <laughs> he kind of wraps up that discussion of how capitalism is like the evil in american political discourse and he goes but you have to live with it freedom of speech that's what he says. It's like, okay. Yeah. All right. Of course. Yep. So Stuart on O'Reilly. Stuart says about O'Reilly, I appreciate the fact that a man who moves like a Yeti can move so fluidly. Okay. That was like kind of a joke about how he's uh, large. And then Stuart in his final monologue says the idea that disagreeing with somebody means you can't engage with them is ridiculous. So ultimately he's saying that the reason I can have this conversation with Bill O'Reilly is because um, we have to talk with people that we don't agree with, that, that we maybe hate like their ideas, but we can still respect them as a person, you know? I don't disagree with that, but like there's gotta be a limit because like, <laughs> If that person thinks you should fucking die in a fire, mm -hmm. I have a conversation with them. You know? Yeah, I think that that's 
That's fair. And I, as I, I'll read you a quote in a moment from Stuart looking back on this, and he seems to have taken a little bit of a different approach now in the clear light of day. Wow, I can't believe they did a retrospective on this. That's yeah, well, Stuart did. I don't think anyone's talking to Bill O'Reilly anymore <laughs> for obvious reasons. Bill O'Reilly has asked what he respects about Jon Stewart, and he says, Stewart tomorrow is going to visit the wounded troops. <laughs> so pretty much Bill O'Reilly likes this. Stewart likes the troops. <laughs> what? Yeah. So he doesn't respect anything about him, basically. Mm -hmm. He doesn't respect anything. Yeah, but... I don't know. They they have they're having fun. At one point, John Stewart sits on Bill O'Reilly's lap as like a little bit of a hey, we're friends, and look, oh, he's so much bigger. I'm like a child in his arms, that sort of thing. And the final question is to young people. You know what 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 advice would you give to young people, the future generations? John Stewart says he would entrust the world to our generation, which I think is pandering to millennials because obviously we were his audience. But hey, I like it. It's nice. And then he says, please don't think of me as an entitled moocher when I'm collecting my government benefits, which was his sort of return back to Bill O'Reilly complaining about how everyone's a moocher and no one wants to work anymore. And there's like, you know, Mitt Romney's huge percentage of people are just mooching off the government's teat, which is absurd. <laughs> and then O'Reilly's advice to young people, find what they're good at and make money doing it. That's his advice. Damn, I wish it worked that way, Bill. Yeah, I know. What shallow, hollow advice. Mm. Or else we'd just be making all kinds of money all the time. That's it's what like, I'm saying. Yeah. So the big question after this debate is who won? And that sort of depends on who you ask. O'Reilly isn't nearly as likable in this debate, near, nearly as unlikable in this debate as he was in his show. He sort of appears human. He's a pompous, annoying human, but one that you feel like you could joke around with and he wouldn't try to kill you, like a guy that you could just make fun of and he wouldn't take it too seriously. It seems like he doesn't take himself too seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah, so like your, your drunk conservative uncle. Yeah, absolutely. That sucks, but like... You're going to invite him anyway. Yeah, and it's, like, it's fun to like joke around with him to a point, mm -hmm. you know? And in that way, I think O'Reilly kind of wins the debate. You know, the fact that you see him as a human for the first time, if you're someone like us, you'd be like, oh, okay, actually, this guy isn't as bad as I thought. Like, I have more, I know more about Bill O'Reilly now than I do about Jon Stewart at the end of it. See, that's how they get you, though. Yep. Yep. Because then you're like, oh, shit. Well, maybe there, maybe there's some bit of normalcy within that person. Maybe they can be saved. Yeah. That's always me. Wait, maybe they can be saved, and it's like, no, they can't. Yeah, but we Every you gotta time. have that hope. You gotta have that hope. But Stewart also wins because I think he's just better at the debate than O'Reilly. He articulates a clear understanding of the future that he envisions, whereas O'Reilly's big talking point is that people are moochers and the government is burdened with taking care of slackers and the government shouldn't be so big, right? Stewart's vision is more than just people are lazy. He sees a world that is better for most people i think and so in that way he wins for me just having a clear vision of what his politics are um if your politics are just people are lazy that's not that's not enough you're not doing enough there 
There were also uh, a lot of editorials about this. People were covering it as though it were actually a presidential debate. People were excited about it. The Christian Science Monitor posted an editorial that said the audience won because it was just a lot of fun, you know? So that's good. <laughs> Man, that's a good, like, quote from the Christian Science yeah, Monitor. So nice. The audience won because we loved it. Yeah, the audience that's won. It. We're having a good time. <laughs> the week offered four takes on the debate, all skewed towards the negative. Here's a hot take about whether or not the debate was even good, right? So the last one that they offered was the audience lost. And it says, in general, the debate had an airlessness that made it a serious bore for fans of Stewart and O'Reilly's fiery performances on The Daily Show and The O'Reilly Factor, says Brent Lang at The Wrap. Stewart is at his worst when he tries to be sincere and his repeated earnest appeals throughout the night didn't connect or entertain. And O'Reilly lazily resorted to his old favorite topics, including the months-old Sandra Fluke controversy. The debate was nowhere near as good as either of their shows, and many viewers may be wishing that they had 90 minutes of their lives back. I think that is a little bit too much of a, a skewering of this. I don't think you can expect this format to be good regardless of what it is because presidential debate formats suck mm -hmm. but but i think it was entertaining maybe it was entertaining because i'm watching it 12 years later but um it was it was interesting it was definitely worth a watch i also think it's kind of crazy to be like this person being sincere sucks <laughs> yeah like oh you're not allowed to be sincere Leave your fucking feelings at home, John Stewart. <laughs> but like the funny thing is that sincerity is now expected from your um, political comedy. Like you expect John Oliver to have moments of sincerity embedded into his hilarious discussions. That's just yeah. part of it now. Well, we have to check if they're real now. <laughs> if they're before real? We, yeah, before we just knew. You yeah. know, we just knew we we, we were like, oh, okay, that guy is like kind of on our side. Yeah. Now we need the sincerity to like have that assurance. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, yeah, that guy is on our side. Yeah, yeah, bit. yeah. You true, know? true. Because the world is so warped. Yeah, because the world is so warped and fucked up and weird. Yeah. So I watched this thing on YouTube. It is, as they said, ninety minutes. I, I think uh, a, a useful thing, especially if you want to get a perspective on our decade, this, as I said, encapsulates so much of the latter part of the 2003 to 2013 decade. Part three is aftermath. So people were pretty excited about this debate, especially because it coincided with the 2012 election. And hey, who knows, maybe it played a role in the outcome of the 2012 election, just kidding. It didn't, I don't think. So <laughs> Obama won like Obama won pretty handily. Like he he beat Mitt Romney's little booty. He whipped his Mormon ass. Yeah, he whipped that that sweet Mormon ass. <laughs> Obama won 332 electoral votes and Romney won 206 electoral votes. Obama won 51.1% of the popular vote compared to Romney's 47.2. He won by 5 million votes. And I think this is the last time a Democrat will win Florida, probably forever until the end of the country. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> so good job, Obama. 
so true. And it was definitely oh. Stewart's debate performance that won the day for Obama. You know, you just have yeah, to say, obviously, you know, John Stewart won as the Obama surrogate. People were like, where, "I like that guy." Where would Obama be without John Stewart? You know, that's I mean, the question. Probably you could you could do that math. You could make that make that argument. I think the the people who loved Stewart at the time obviously loved Obama at the time and and it coincided in, in probably a healthy way for both of them. All right. So let me break it. Okay, here's my thing. All right. It's my last little spiel here. The level of discourse between two opposing sides is something that we'll likely not see for a long time. Our notions of reality are even more conflicted now than in John Stewart's like bullshit mountain discussion where you have one version of reality that isn't real we are so far beyond that we are it's gone now that bullshit mountain as i said seems really quaint no bullshit mountain is the world yeah that we are living in currently <laughs> <laughs> it has become the world yes it's just everything now and this debate was the let me say it again last gasp that we nearly always mention at the end of season two episodes. Everything in this season is, oh, this is the last gasp of this. <laughs> okay, but it is. Yeah, but it is. Okay, but it is. Yeah, 2003 to 2013 was just a collection of last gasps. <laughs> it's so true, though. So true. It's really fucked up how true that is. And like, we didn't even know it. We, nobody warned us. No. That you're going to live through last gasps. We didn't even get to say goodbye. <laughs> so, first of all, there aren't media personalities with as much reach or cultural cachet as Stewart and O'Reilly had at the time. So this kind of pay-per-view event would not matter in the same way. Second, Trump destroyed the need for the far right to pretend to appeal to anyone outside of the echo chamber. He demolished it. The guy's good, okay? He said, that reality, don't even go near it. You like me. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, and he did it well. O'Reilly and Stewart didn't change many minds, but the right doesn't need to feign interest in dialogue anymore, and liberals are difficult to talk to anyway. <laughs> <laughs> There are ways for figureheads to engage in dialogue, but it won't be on a large scale and it probably won't be funny. So we're, this is the last time that this kind of thing will ever happen again, I think. We're not even going to have a presidential debate this, this year. It's not going to happen. No, no more debates. Like No. We're over it. This has got to be the end of the empire, right? Yeah, I, I think <laughs> we're nearing the end. <laughs> it's so crazy really crazy yeah there's not going to be a single presidential debate this yeah. this um, year I, I guess i have this stewart in a 2020 new york times interview commented on this debate and i'm not exactly sure what he's saying here but this is his kind of final discussion of the battle in the air-conditioned theater he said the question was always, why would you talk to him? Why do you have him on the show if you can't destroy him? If you want to talk about the worst legacy of The Daily Show, it was probably that, Stewart said, 
in the New York Times interview. Those moments when you had a tendency, even subconsciously, to feel like we have to live up to the evisceration expectation. We tried not to give something more spice than it deserved, but you were aware of, say, what went viral. Resisting that gravitational force is really hard. So I think what he's saying here is that the worst legacy of The Daily Show is that he didn't skewer O'Reilly enough, I guess, or, or that he had him on in the first place. I think he's saying, it feels like, to, it feels to me that he's saying, yeah, that he didn't skewer him enough, mm -hmm. which yeah. like, yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. No, like, yeah, you should have been more, you should have been like much more aggressive. And, it, but at the same time, it's like he was fairly aggressive. He did mock him continually. It wasn't as though O'Reilly was ever made to look good, but he was humanized by their interactions. And maybe that's the, that's the problem that people liberals have been complaining about is like platforming these people who who they think shouldn't have a platform yeah i i don't think i agree with that like i think like for instance trump like i don't know if deplatforming trump changes anything i think we're already past that like <laughs> we should hear what he well, has to say <laughs> well yeah like right now we we're past that but like in <laughs> no but like in 20 in 2012 we weren't past that you know yeah like in 2012, giving O'Reilly less access to appearing human mm -hmm. was possible, you know? True, but I just think that no one's mind is going to be changed. I, I think that at this True. point, everyone's in their, in their echo chamber, and you should have these discussions, you should have these debates, but at the end of the day, what's the point then if no one's mind is changed? Like, what... What is this exercise in other than you watching your guy and agreeing with your guy and hating the other guy? Yeah, I mean, I think this like celebrity play of like liberalism and conservatism also is like never. Yeah, it's not going to impact any actual material change or do anything. It's mm -hmm. not going to make people be like, oh, maybe my beliefs are not great. Yeah, they're just it's just fun. OK, so like that's that's part of the problem of like political entertainment in the first place right like yeah like you and i kind of do that and we also love it like in our own way and we make our own political entertainment but the way that we have like treated politics as entertainment where like po politicians become celebrities that are worthy of our like respect and love and admiration instead of like our holding them accountable for the job that they're supposed to do mm -hmm. that is like that is like the main problem with political entertainment in general is because they become characters and are little like plays yeah. and they're not real public servants who we're supposed to be mad at and like punish for not doing what they're do we're, they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. The foundation of politics, you know, since the early, the early politics of like various indigenous cultures was that if someone wanted that much power, you had to treat them like shit all the time because <laughs> what they were doing was messed up. <laughs> so right. they should be held accountable at every moment as opposed to your guy, like your guy, your little friend, the person that you love, you know, yeah, the boss, yeah, I mean, like, the queen, whatever. When you think about it, and I'm not trying to like make light of the situation either, but 
I don't think this is making light of it. When you think about it, there are two political parties that we have in this country. They're just like sports teams. Yep. Who exactly like, people root on. Like when when the you know when the dolphins like keep losing, nobody's like, what the fuck is your problem? <laughs> Why do you keep losing, you pieces of shit? You know? And that's like that's how we should be treating politicians when they don't do their job. We should be like, what the fuck is your problem? Why aren't you doing this thing? Yeah. In like a very loud and aggressive manner. And we don't do that. Instead, we're like, oh, maybe next year. Yeah, we'll <laughs> get them next year, guys. How you treat a sports team. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, that's how you treat your losing ass sports team. And that is what we do. And I think, I do think that like political entertainment, it has be, I don't think it's like the, I don't think it's fully to blame for that. But I do think it kind of fast tracked it in a way, you know, it yeah. made it worse quicker. <laughs> Definitely. It definitely made it worse quicker because, as you said, it's just framed through winners and losers of sides as opposed to all of us collectively winning or losing. <laughs> yes. More on the line. Yeah. And, and whatever you want to think, you know, again, this is just my opinion, man, but we've all lost. Yep. We've all big lost, time. like, big time. I don't care how, like, rich or cushy or how good your life seems to be. We have all lost in a really big way. Yeah. And I think like that is a thing that we don't focus on enough. We kind of just focus on again, like you just said, that's our guy. Yeah. So we gotta support him. Mm -hmm. And I gotta say, that's really old now. <laughs> like I'm only 36 and that's really old now. Yeah. Like your guy doesn't care about you. Uh yeah. I, anyway, so <laughs> this uh, that's that's all I got for this one. I mean, this was an interesting thing to watch. I I had the thought of it on a whim just because thinking about this decade and thinking about what episodes to plan for, this sticks out to me, this like sort of ongoing Stuart O'Reilly dialogue debate as so specific to the time period and no longer exists in any meaningful way. Like, what do we have? John Oliver talking to Tucker Carlson? Like, that's never going to happen, right? So it's over. Like, this thing is done. It's over. And I also think it's super relevant right now, too, because uh, they just made the announcement that John Stewart is coming back to The Daily Show on Monday. Yes. And I'm just wondering, so in the in the past 12 years since that debate has happened, John Stewart has definitely occupied a space that was a little even further left than his like liberal politics of that time period. Yeah, he's definitely gone left. And, yeah. And I, like I don't know how real that is or whatever if that's just for like clicks and views and and whatever he's doing now. I don't know if that's like his true feelings or not. I've he I've heard him say some really great things, uh especially lately with um you know in the in the conversation about Palestine. But, you know, I, I'm wondering like what that's going to look like on Monday nights now, you know, I, yeah, I'm very curious to see. So I do think this is super relevant because I, I wonder if it's going to be, if they're going to try to kind of harness some of that old glory of that time period, or if they're, if it's going to be something completely new. I think he's going to I think he's going to go in. I think that he's much bigger than the thing. He he is the thing. Like, I I know yeah. that maybe some Gen Zers like Trevor Noah. I never found Trevor Noah to be very funny. Um but John Stewart is the Daily Show, especially for us. And it would make me watch that show again, a show that I have not watched in over 10 years. Like Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm curious. I, I do want to see. I hope he does go in. I hope he does start going in on some of these. I people. think and he I will. Hope, I hope that, that that interview that he gave where he said he didn't skewer people enough, I hope that that he remembers that in this time period where he's coming back, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, he is powerful because he's a celebrity. He's very rich um, <laughs> and he could probably do a lot more than he's doing. But at least he could at the very least he could speak some truth and yeah. use that platform to do it you know yeah and i think like if there's one thing that uh, john stewart did earn from at least the people in our generation who think you know relatively the same way we do he did earn our trust like over and over again as an entertainer as like a thinker we trusted him and i i continue to i watched some of his apple show like you know pretty good pretty pretty good he is like much more further left than he was on the daily show and i think he's i think he's gonna bring that energy i I trust him yeah i guess we'll have to see we'll have to see see. in uh you know in however many years from now when we're doing the decade 2014 to 2020 to 20 20, 2015 to 2025 and we'll cover that we'll cover this god when we're in our 40s we or 50s nah, i don't I say know. that kind of shit we're never gonna be in our 50s <laughs> yeah, but that sounds so morbid yeah, it <laughs> does. sounds like we're gonna die <laughs> yeah any day now <laughs> all right thank you so much brother that was great hey it was I, my I, i've never seen it i never watched it i didn't watch it when it was on I wouldn't have paid four ninety five. Oh yeah, definitely not. Twelve. Um, but now that I know, oh, it's and and you did you did mention it's for free on YouTube. So now that I yep. know it's for free on YouTube, we could all watch it actually. Yep, free no ads too, and there's like eight million views on the thing. So That's people sick. watch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you guys should watch it. Tell us what you think. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate Blanky. it.